And this is it, the last sermon of 2023. As many of you know that have been around the calendar year of the River Church, I am the guy that, like, I jump when there's, like, a standalone message. If that's an opportunity, I'm like, give it to me. I don't care if it's happening, like, on Christmas Day. I'm ready for it. I want to preach a standalone message. And, and I don't even ever know what I want to preach on until about the week before. I just pray about it. I'm like, Lord, where should I go? What should I talk about? The good news today is whatever I talk about, the surf is pumping. So there's a big show right behind me. And I saw some dolphins doing, like, backflips out there. And so I encourage you all, like, if you... If the sermon gets dry, which is pretty sure it's going to, you got a show to enjoy. Uh, we brought it in for free, but it's not too late to sponsor our dolphin corralling ministry here at the River Church at the South Bay. Um, so if you know me, I love to celebrate. I'm a celebration dude. It's a thing. It's become a motif in my family. It's sort of infected my kids as well, uh, much to my wife's blessed um, chagrin she she uh she's like james you celebrate everything like every night can't be a celebration night and for me that translates into let's get fun food let's have fun drinks let's have fun time we got to celebrate and it's like it's the first tuesday of the month we need to celebrate i finished grading midterms we should celebrate i wore my sweat sweatpants so well today we got to celebrate that i know my kids are like like like, dad we got to celebrate i'm like yeah we do so i have now a majority in the household but I tend to be a pretty, a pretty positive person. I can dip low. I'm, I'm sort of like I can get really deep and very searching and reflective. Um, but then I really spend most of my time kind of above the surface in a place of delight and pleasure. And so when I think about a year-end review, a year-end message... I typically am like, what are we celebrating? What are we going to be grateful for? What do we have to look to with just such profound hope? And all those things are beautiful and wonderful, and I'll probably do mostly that kind of a message. This year, though, I had this like repeating, um, it was like a, a, a song, like a refrain from a song just going through my head as I'm coming closer and closer to this Sunday, and it just kept saying like, yeah, it's been an amazing year. And there's also been a lot of pain this year. There's been a lot of pain endured. Um, Globally speaking, we know that. Like we absolutely can look around and we think about the terrorist attacks in Israel in October and the lives that are still suffering so uh, in such devastation. We think about the lives that are stuck in the collateral damage of of, uh, uh, the, the war in Gaza. And we look at pictures of babies in a NICU that are crowded into one little thing. And, and it's like, this is, this is such pain, I can't even put my head into it. It's too much. And think about the lives, of course, in Ukraine, both Russian lives, Ukrainian lives. But young men, most of them did not choose to wake up and say, I want to be at war when I'm in my teens and 20s. And we look at this, and it's like, it's kind of inescapable, um, Individually, as I look around, I, could, I literally can do a sweep of this, this family right here. And if you're with us for the first time, you're part of the family this morning. And it's not too late. No, I'm kidding. I won't, I, that's a total show. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Um, but I could, I could do a sweep of this crowd and, and look into some lives and remember some moments that were impossibly, impossibly painful. That were the utmost of... Uh, outermost of human limits to, to understand why is my child suffering like this. I think about young ones that have been in hospitals, hooked up to tubes, fighting for their lives, parents wondering tomorrow what is going to happen. Will the next hour be a good hour or a bad hour? What do you do with that? Where do you go with that? Uh, I know families right now 
sitting in, um, um, amongst us and they look back on 2023 and it is not a year of celebration. It's a year of wreckage, of pain. And, and so as I want to reach for the positive and think about like what's so good, I think there's this place where we settle, we can end the year reflecting on where do we put the pain of 2023? And so for you, if you came in today and you're flying high and things are great, I don't want to be the wet blanket or the rain on your parade. Uh, so just watch the dolphins and ignore me. But if you're a human that's sitting here, you either have been in some pain or you will be in some pain. It tends to be part of our story um, this side of the fall and this side of the resurrection where we experience profound pain. And so that's what I titled the sermon, Where to Put the Pain of 2023. And um, I, I sort of will give you my amateur take on Christian culture that I've been familiar with. As many of you know, I was like a church kid my whole life. I was a pastor's son, born on a Tuesday in church on Sunday. Um, I know my way around a good church potluck. I've been sat through, I sat through two-hour prayer meetings every Sunday night for like many years of my 10, 11, 12-year-old life. So I have endurance. I've learned endurance, how to entertain yourself. My favorite is to squeeze your eyes really tight and see what kind of light show it produces. I used to do that a lot during those prayer meetings. Or then the old cup the hands so no one could see your eyes are open the whole time and just kind of look around at the floor. So I had a lot of strategies. Uh, kids here, come see me. I can help you out enduring these long moments of church life. But I've been around church a lot. I'm not an, a contemporary Christian scholar. I don't know like where the academics are on this field, but I'll tell you in my opinion where sort of three places where I think we as Christian culture go when we face pain. And if you're with us here today checking things out, looking over the fence at this Christian thing, or you happen to be staying over with family and they dragged you to church, just kind of listen in and you'll get a little glimpse, I think, into some of our weirdness as Christians. But a couple of places we go that I think have good intentions, at least two of them, and maybe not the best outcomes. Um, when we hit something that's really hard, whether it's global or it's personal, something really painful, um, one spot we can go is kind of the cynicism and the grumbling that I think marks our political discourse in our country today, our media process, I guess, the way our media pumps things out, we typically like to uh, blow a big cloud of negative, a big cloud of division, of cynicism, and anything good can happen. Like Jeff Bezos, you know, sent um, Captain Kirk to space, and the first thing we'll go is like, oh, of course, billionaires flying rockets, right? We, like, we want to just quickly break to the cynical. We can do that as Christians, too. When we hit something hard, we can break into just a grumbling heart, which is like, you know what? God, what's your problem? Like, I don't even know if you're here, and you know what? Whatever, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of sit and wallow. And that's a place we can go. It's pretty natural, pretty human. We'll call it grumbling. I'll define grumbling as an accusation against God that smears his character. Grumbling, and this is just my sort of a working definition, I should say. It's like an accusation against God that just smears his character. It says you are fundamentally not good, or you're kind of not good. or There's something else about you that you didn't tell us about. And it's ugly. And, and um, that's a spot we go. Another place, this one's really popular. And I think this one is really well-intentioned. 
and has its place, but it's like, okay, there's a big, deep problem. Let's fix it. Let's just fix the problem. Get her done. Like, assemble a team, come up with a vision, a strategy, mobilize, finance it, fix it. Boom, baby. We don't sit around considering the problem and weighing it. We attack it and fix it. And this can be an issue if you've ever been through something hard and wanted to process pain with someone and they're a fixer, you know who they are, and you know you probably don't go to them a second time, right? Because their main objective, and it's, it's well-intentioned. They see pain and they go, well, let's make this stop. How can we make this stop? Not to be sexist, guys, we're pretty good at that. I think that's kind of our go-to, right? It's like, all right, well, have you tried this? Have you thought about this? Well, what if we did this? And it's like, I'm processing pain right now. I don't need you to fix me. But as a Christian culture, sometimes we can move to problem-solving immediately, Something's wrong. What can we do to fix the problem? That could be a space we go immediately. Um, and then a third option, and these are, there could be more, I guess, of my humble observations. Uh, a third option could be um, stay as positive as possible. Stay as absolutely positive as possible. The pain is overwhelming. Overwhelming. Like the waves of hardship are rolling in like, like our Torrance Beach this morning. And we say something, we can, we can sort of um, pivot over to just kind of Christian platitudes. Well, we're good news people, and God wins in the end, therefore, it's all good, it's going to be fine. Or we can do this move, and maybe you've done this before. Well, other people have it harder than me, so who am I to even have a complaint? I mean, look at what's going on around the world. Who am I to complain? Now, that, that's a very common place that I think good people go to. It's a, it's a place of humility. It's a place of like, well, I really shouldn't. My pain can't compare. Problem with that is pretty obvious. It means like one person on the whole earth is able to actually grumble because there's someone who has it better than them, even if it's bad. So like, well, that side of the dungeon is a little bit better than this side of the dungeon, so I shouldn't complain. So that we, we can kind of logically swipe that one away, but it's a real temptation to say, well, I have no business because look what this family is going through. The problem is when pain and hardship is there, it just doesn't evaporate because you stop looking at it. Oftentimes it can grow and it could find new places to infect. And another problem with, and, uh, with our over, if we just stick to the positive and just maintain a vision of like, it's all good, everything's fine, God's got it, it's going to be wonderful, is it doesn't mesh with this robust tradition we see here in this sacred anthology of ancient Mediterranean and ancient Near Eastern texts we call the Bible. We sell short the robust nature of the discourse, the worldview, the vision, and the, the uh, vignettes and pictures we see in this scripture. I, did, I started doing this thing a year ago, a year, no, two years ago tomorrow, I've been doing this thing for two years now, where several times a week, I wake up in the morning, I hit play on the Psalms. I start listening to Psalms. I just hit play. As I wake up, I listen to it. And then I get out of bed, I throw on my board shorts, and I go and I do a cold water surf for like 20, 30, 40 minutes, depending on how cold it is. I just do the cold water exposure thing, and then I drive back up, listen to Psalms. So it's like start my day with Psalms, get in the water, and then end my day with Psalms and work through the hyperthematic shock that I've hit. And what's so interesting is when you actually spend time just randomly listening to Psalms, you find out, like, it's not all the positive, happy, 
write psalms that we sing in a Sunday service. As a matter of fact, and if you count them up, and there's scholars that have, and I've read through it several times myself, about two-thirds of the psalms are what are called psalms of lament, or they have elements of lament in them. And you find this out very quickly, like, wow, I wanted to start my day, seize the day, and what I'm hearing again and again are these like really deep, visceral laments. And so if we want to stay positive and be positive people, which I think it's good to be positive in so many circumstances, but when we're facing pain, we have to recognize if our mode is stick my head in the theologically bright, happy sand, you are not in step with your own sacred tradition. You're actually doing something that's different than this representation of um, our sacred tradition called the Bible. And what I wanted to do today is just briefly, and I mean briefly, walk through three steps of lament as we see them in the Psalms. And, um, and I'll, I'll define lament. Um, if grumbling is an accusation against God's character, an accusation that smears his character, then lament is an appeal to God based on confidence in his character. Lament is an appeal to God based on confidence in his character. I, I would say the key difference here has to do with who is it we think we're talking to. Um, but I want to just look at a short, one of the shorter psalms, Psalm 13. And you can listen in or you could follow along if you'd like. Psalm 13. And I'll be standing on the shoulders of a scholar by the name of Joshua Beckett who wrote a really great article on this. And if you want the reference, come see me after. I'll give you the, um, the journal article. Uh, reference. But uh, he, he did some great work on Psalm 13 and looking specifically at lament. And so what I'd like to do is um, briefly walk through three stages. And again, I hope that if this is not meeting you right now where you're at, you can either put this one in your pocket and hold on to it. And when you do hit that um, tsunami of pain or when that groundswell of anxiety or pressure that just doesn't go away for, for several months um, begins to overwhelm you, you will actually have a place to go with that pain and say, there is something deep within my tradition that, that I can process this with. Okay, so Psalm 13, I actually printed it out on cardstock. Uh, I'm going to read it to you. This is uh, Psalm 13 in the New International Version. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, my Lord God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your chesed, your unfailing love. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. So this is, I don't want to make this too formulaic because when you read the Psalms, this is poetry, baby. This is poetry. It's going to be um, like jazz improvisation. It's moving from thing to thing, but there are motifs and themes that you'll see repeated. But this Psalm does lay out for us, I think, three movements, kind of like a symphony. There are different movements in a symphony that can be helpful and uh, and so I'm going to, this is the first movement we see when it comes to biblical lament. How do you lament? 
How do you go to God with this? It's kind of a prayer, an expression from the heart. It's, um, it's a, an emotional and a theologically rich relational moment with God. How, how can we do this? Well, we see in Psalm 13, the first movement is from crisis to complaint. From crisis to complaint. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Those first two verses, and we'll see them in expanded form in other Psalms, and we'll see them all over the Bible. But these first two verses can be the uncomfortable part, maybe for a lot of contemporary Christians, because it sounds like almost inappropriate. It feels a little bit like, well, who am I to talk to God like that? And I would agree if I was making up a poem by myself, I probably would be like, I'm not starting that way. That's a little bit like it feels like a confrontation. It feels almost like disrespectful. The problem is you trip over these Psalms all through the Bible, even deeper than this. Expressions of God that are unfiltered, unbridled expressions of the pain you're in. I think this is really, really critical um, many of us save this kind of expression for our therapists. The beautiful thing about going to therapy is they can't share what you're sharing with them or you can sue them. It's a really wonderful relational moment. You can be real honest about whatever and they can't talk about it. It's re- At the end of the day, no, there's a lot of other things they do, but that's my favorite part. And there's something about the freedom there to just share, blah, here's where I'm at right now. You're not worried about, will the kids hear it? You're not worried about, what will the people say? I'm just being really honest right now where I am. And what I want you to see is like the Psalms invite us into that real relational moment with God again and again and again. Like this first movement, it's unfiltered and it's unbridled. It's not, you don't put a governor on it or um, you're not spraying like, Axe body spray all over it to try to make it not smell as bad. You're just saying, here's where I'm at. And notice, it's not an expression of theological precision. Like, oh Lord, how will you forget me forever? Well, we know God's omniscient. The psalmists seem to know that. But yet they're asking that question. Like, do you think God forgot them? Oh yeah, oh shoot, I left the water running on you. I'm so sorry. Let me turn that off and fix things. Like that, I don't think that's the, the theological paradigm that this writer is working from. Instead, it's just, God, will, have you forgotten me? Will you just keep forgetting me? How long will I wrestle? Um, and for those of you that have been in sustained pain, like you know this prayer very well. How long will this last? How beautiful is that, by the way? Gosh, it's beautiful. Um, and I want you to see the other thing about this first step from crisis to complaint is that it's the first stop in a crisis. It's not to others. It's not to a quick solution. It's not even to a tidy theological explanation. It's straight to God. This is, I think, the beauty and the magic, not in a literal term, but the magic of this movement here from crisis to complaint is it goes straight to God with what's actually really real right here. And we know theologically God knows what you're going through. You're not hiding anything from him. So in this case, it's a real relational moment. It's wrapping your arms. It's letting God wrap his arms around you, even maybe while you're just screaming and hitting and feeling absolutely lost and letting God hold you. And knowing that God is big enough, secure enough, and good enough to handle 
whatever it is you are throwing at him in that moment of pain. Again, some of you are like, I don't like this. This is uncomfortable to me. Is this right? Is this real? I'll tell you what, don't take my word for it. Just listen to the Psalms this month. Just go through them. And, and you'll, I, I'm, I'm telling you, it speaks for itself. This is really something amazing. Um, on this last point, I mean on this movement from crisis to complaint, this is one thing actually relationally I think we find is really true and makes for really good relationships. Bray and I in 20, 2010, 2011, we, did, we like did a full marriage rebuild. We, always, we sort of say we've been married several times, but thankfully to the same person. Like we've, we've really had, we did a really major, I was in the middle of a PhD program. Our life fell apart, our marriage fell apart in some crazy ways. I was just buried in my own work and we just drifted apart in some, it just was ugly. Okay, people, it was ugly. And I remember just feeling like, this, I can't believe this happened. I'm good Christian Jesus boy. I've always done the right things. We had, you know, purity rings when we got married. The purity culture in the 90s, you'll love it. It's a great thing. Um, and <laughs> church culture. And it was so good. And how is my marriage so bad? And so we went into, like, we were surrounded by some folks here at the river, some families that just wrapped themselves around us, uh, the Windors, among others. And we went into some serious therapy. I mean, it was like, we're either going to fully renovate this house um, or we're, we're leaving it. We cannot live in this anymore the way it is. One of the best keys we learned in that whole entire process and something we struggled with deeply was just basic honesty. And our therapist, this guy's a rock star, amazing dude, therapist, but he would always tell us, put it in the room. Put it in the room. When you're talking about saying take time to share honestly where you're at and the other person listens and enters in without owning it now that's a simple instruction it takes a lot of practice and I'm still not that good at it but taking turns sharing exactly where you're at and the other person listens without entering in without being tricked well no I didn't do that I, oh really you never get time to yourself like no listen hear and let them be really honest. And it was such a liberating thing. And I'm telling you, I never, ever, 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 ever want to go back to him hawing and guessing what they would want and sharing kind of a half truth so that I'll keep things nice and copacetic. I love to put it in the room, get it all out there, and let's talk. So some of you, maybe that's why you came this Sunday. It's just to hear that little tip that cost me thousands of dollars in therapy and you just got for free. There's still time. I'm kidding. I'm joking. Um, but this is a really beautiful movement with God to just put it in the room. God, here's where I'm at. And so I want to encourage those of you that are in deep pain, or you look back on 2023 and it's a nightmare. God wants to hear about it. He wants to relate to you on it and he can handle it. God can handle your pain. I want you to hear that. He can really honestly handle your pain. Teenagers out there, the pain you experience probably right now is maybe more painful than pain you will ever experience in terms of the intensity of the feeling. I remember being a teenager and I remember being a youth pastor of teenagers. And oftentimes your pain could get brushed aside and they said, oh, it's not that bad. Believe me, life will hit you harder than this. I tell you what, man, there's no pain like teenage pain. And so I just want to encourage you, God wants to hear about it. He's a, he's, he's a safe place to express that. So that's the first movement from crisis to complaint. And then it goes from complaint to plea. And then, it's, so it moves from like, here's where I'm at to God, look on me and answer me. Give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. My enemy will say I've overcome him. My foes will rejoice when I fall. So it moves from just here's where I'm at to God, I need you. 
And I think this is really important because human self-sufficiency is abandoned at this stage. You just kind of recognize, I cannot fix this problem. I can't do it. And I know this, this year, many of you, we had like some horrible RSV and sicknesses and some kiddos and you had to sit and watch your kids in, in a hospital and the whole church rallied around you praying and watching and you're asking that question like, I, I can't fix this. The best medical people can't come in and swoop in and make it better. What do I, God, I need you. I need you to move. And this is that movement from just I'm lost and I'm disillusioned to God, please move. I need you to move. Human self-sufficiency is abandoned. And notice also the scope and possible consequences of the crisis are acknowledged and relinquished to God. The psalmist here says, God, if you don't move, this is what I think will happen. And it's really bad. It's, it's not bargaining, but it feels a little bit like it. It's like, God, do you see what's happening here? Please move. Um, the final movement is from plea to praise. Look how it ends. This is in the space of what we call six verses. It takes about 30 seconds to read. But the last two verses, but I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Not every psalm of lament ends like this. Read Psalm 88. It ends pretty dark. But this is actually one of these big themes you'll see in a lot of these psalms of lament, which is, God, I know your character, and so that's where I will find my rest. I will find my rest there. And I want you to understand this last step, it's probably not going to well up from deep within your soul as a natural response. God, I just rejoice in your salvation even as... I surveyed the damage of this war. God, I, I, just, I just rest my heart in trust with you, even though I'm not sure what's going to happen to my marriage or life or business or health. What's that next scan going to come back as? Lord, I just trust you. This is actually a faith-fueled choice. This is where volition comes into play. We say, God, I choose to stand and trust you. I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to hold on to you. Um, and it's a, it's a... It's actually protects you from the stalking temptation of terror. Have you ever thought about this? Being terrified as a temptation, being tempted into terror. We can think of it as catastrophizing. We can think of it as looking at something so horrible and going, what if the worst happens? We think about lust as a temptation. That's a pretty easy one, right? Greed is a temptation. That's pretty easy. But have you ever thought about being terrified as something that you could be tempted into? and looking at it and treating it the same way you treat other temptations, which is I'm tempted to just despair and be terrified. Well, when you end by saying, Lord, I trust you, you're actually taking a faith-filled stance against the temptation of terror in the circumstances. That's a powerful move. I just wanted you to see the, these steps from crisis to complaint, from complaint to plea, from plea to praise, back and forth and back and forth. These are cyclical. These are, um, can form a beautiful melody of the way you process pain. But if there's nothing else you hear from me today, I want you to hear this. Lament is a deeply rooted practice with our ancestors in the faith, including Jesus of Nazareth. If you read the gospel accounts, Mark 15, Matthew um, 27, as Jesus is on the cross, he cries out something. He, he speaks it out in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lema samachthani. One of his last statements on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's communing with the Father, 
in a moment of deep pain and crisis, and he's processing his pain using a psalm of lament. If that does not give us permission to do it, I don't know what does. Because Christians literally means little Christy poos, little Chris, Christian-y people. It means like little Jesus people. Like we literally model our lives after Christ. We really want to be Christ-like. And I want you to see when pain comes, Christ processed that pain. And he even used the robust tradition of these scriptures to do it. And so many more I could give you if, you're no, if you don't believe me and you need biblical proof. Come see me after. I'll give you a, a, um, a bucket full of passages that is just full of lament. Uh, I'll close with a story that's dear and real in my life where lament is kind of it's, it's been such a rad season, and many of you know this. Bill kind of mentioned it, and if you've been around, the last two months in the pedophile's house has been amazing. We got our little little foster baby tiger over there. Um, just kind of came into our life and stole our hearts, and um, he's, he's just incredible and such a gift. And um, I hold this baby. I marvel. I marvel at the goodness of God and at the beauty of God and this little creation that he made that's so special and smart and cute and funny. And then there are also moments where, on the flip side of it, I think about where he came from, and I think about the realities that are, he's, he's happy in our house. He's warm. He's fed. His cries are answered with nothing but love. He's surrounded by our family and this family with just a parade of love. And yet the reality is there's still so many babies, and you'll read in the newspaper, even this week, babies that are just dying, and, and folks that are st- suffering and struggling. And so we've really been in this like interesting place. It's like Bray describes it as like a thin place. It's like where heaven and earth kind of are coming really close. This this last couple of months, I feel like, I, you know, <laughs> there are times where you're like it's like driving on PCH. You're way far from the ocean, and there are times where you're right in Malibu and you're right on the water. And it's like this last couple of months, we've been right on the water, feeling like what God's been. And I, I think His heart and some realities that are in our our own backyard here in Los Angeles. And so it's been a heavy time and. Um, when we drove, I'll never, I mean, when we took Tiger um, on uh, November 8th or uh, 9th, we took him out of uh, the hospital, out of the NICU. He was released. And we driving home, it was at 4.30 in downtown LA on a Friday. Okay, so you can imagine, like, the GPS basically painted, like, an Etch-A-Sketch for me to get home. It was just insane. And so we just took the route. At, and it, was, it took us through some parts of LA I have not been through in a long time, and certainly not at, at nighttime, and traffic was slow the whole way, and it was like being on like a horrible ride at Disneyland that you can't get off of, and everywhere you look, you're seeing like human wreckage, folks that are suffering, folks that are suffering from mental challenges and drug addiction, fires, encampments, squalor, and I'm looking at going like, what's up, Dell? What's up, buddy? <laughs> Dell's going to close our service off with a word. There's like, you're just looking around at it, and it's so easy when I'm here to look out here and just go, I don't have to think about it. And suddenly you're driving through going, this is a reality. Well, here's the problem. Like, I have a baby, a foster baby in my car. I'm trying to do something about it. But what you realize is, like, I can't solve this problem. You can't solve this problem. We could put all our efforts together, and it's so complex and so multifaceted and so multilayered. It's such a significant problem that we can't just fix it. So what do I do? What do I do with that giant remainder of my backyard and all the suffering that's happening? And what I'm telling you is, lament is not the only thing we can do, but it is a thing we must do as a people. 
I can lament. It's actually doing something, saying, God, I lament that this is happening in our world. My heart is heavy. Lord, please move. Please respond. We trust your character, though. And so as we move into this season, um, I think there's going to be nothing more attractive than folks seeing the robust depth of what it means to follow Jesus. And that means what it means to follow Jesus even in pain. Even in pain. And there's a place called lament. So I don't know how long I went, but it's 944. So that's pretty pretty good. Um, We're going to close off this service. uh, And this year, for goodness sakes, the last sermon of the year, we're going to close off um, with some communion. And um, the way we do this, Rachel's going to come up and lead us in a song. And then just at your own time, um, feel free to grab uh, some communion elements. I would just say, just do be aware. We have to keep a path open for the lifeguards, especially in these conditions. So when you're standing, wherever you stand, just maybe stay back here away from the cones so that if there's an emergency response, they can get where they need to be. Uh, So with that being said, let me pray, and Rachel's going to lead us in a last song of 2023. Uh, thank you so much, Rachel. Lord, we just we thank you that you're a God that can hear our pain. That doesn't just put up with it, but longs to relate to us in our deep space of pain. And you're not unfamiliar with our pain. You, you entered the system. You entered humanity and experienced the utmost of betrayal, loneliness, pain, shame. And you cried out to the Father. And we want to we follow you in that pattern. We love you and we thank you that your loving kindness, your chesed, is unmovable. In Jesus' name, amen.